as a web developer, CSS is the only thing that's like a constant between every web developer and every ecosystem, you know? PHP developers, Rails developers, React developers, Vue developers, .NET developers, like all of them have to write CSS. So it's like the one thing that everybody has to write. Like not even HTML is really as universal, but Bootstrap is used in every possible type of web project and Tailwind is, is the same way. So it's been pretty amazing to be able to work in like that part of the stack, that slice of technology that has the absolute biggest market share. My name is Adam Wathen. I'm the creator of Tailwind CSS and I run Tailwind Labs. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lavhart, and today, how Adam Wathen created one of the most popular CSS frameworks around by simply coding online. All this and more on Code Story. Adam Wathan has been obsessed with computers since he was a kid. In fact, he was introduced to computers by his first grade librarian, and his first programming project was using QBasic following a tutorial on how to make a pro wrestling simulator. During his time in university, he wasn't enjoying the programming curriculum and ended up dropping out to play in his band and working odd jobs to support his music career. During this, he got into the production side of music and started a home studio to record local bands. Four years after he quit programming, he started tinkering with the same framework used to make the famous Winamp, called Reaper and he fell in love with coding all over again. At this point, he tried school again, but post-internship, he decided to go straight into the field without finishing his degree. These days, he's married with a young family. Besides staying busy with that, he still finds time to play games with his remote friends and occasionally trains for powerlifting. He met his business partner, Steve, in college and hacked on side projects together. These side projects led to the creation of a mini CSS framework, which Adam started using throughout other projects, growing it into something he was quite proud of. In fact, while live streaming some coding, he was surprised by the influx of people asking what it was and where they could get it. He decided to open source the framework in 2017 and it has steadily grown and grown and grown in usage to the tune of millions of downloads a month. This is the creation story of Tailwind CSS and Tailwind Labs. Me and my business partner, Steve Shoker, run Tailwind Labs, and kind of our main product is Tailwind UI, which is a commercial component library for Tailwind CSS users. So it's a bunch of HTML templates for a variety of UI components that you can copy and paste into your projects and tweak kind of as much as you want. Steve and I have been friends for a number of years. We sort of got introduced by a mutual friend that I met in college because he was a designer and I was a developer and he was always kind of looking for people to hack on side projects with and uh, same with me. We started working on a bunch of little side projects together. The first thing we started working on was like a a resume building app because he had been like designing one in his spare time and I had been building one in my spare time just like by coincidence. We got like 40% of the way through that and then moved on to the next project like people tend to do with side projects, I think. But at one point we wanted to build this tool 
The idea was like link sharing between team members at a company. So something I always found myself wanting to do where I was working is like, I'd stumble across some interesting article and I wanted to like share it with the other people on my team and have a place where people could sort of like discuss them and stuff like that. I couldn't find any like good tool for that. And I thought we should try and like make something for that. So we started building this little app. At some point I decided to take like a week off work to really like push the prototype forward and just see where we could get. What ended up happening is I spent like that whole time working on sort of the foundational bits of the code base. Like in this case, it was lots of CSS stuff because normally I was like using Bootstrap for everything back in the day, but they were just about to release Bootstrap 4 and Bootstrap 4 had dropped the less CSS framework for SAS. I didn't like SAS. I really liked less. So I was disappointed that they were dropping it and I wanted to keep using less. And I also wanted to keep using Bootstrap but I had to kind of make a decision. I either keep using Bootstrap and switch to SaaS or I keep using less and build something myself. And there's like enough little things that I would have changed about Bootstrap if it was my project that I thought, you know what, I'll just like try and build something small myself. So I started building out this little mini CSS framework for myself just for this project. And the project didn't end up going anywhere. I did find that I was carrying those like CSS or less files with me from side project to side project, tweaking them a little bit here and there. And over like the next couple of years, they kind of turned into something that I felt like pretty good about. At this point, Steve and I were working on another project called KiteTail, which was supposed to be like a checkout as a service project for people selling like digital goods. So in my case, I was like trying to sell like licenses to courses that I was creating. And I basically wanted a tool where you could come enter your credit card information and it would basically send like a webhook back to whatever your app was to let you know that a payment came through and then you could sort of fulfill that payment however you wanted. So the idea was to sort of make it so people didn't have to worry about failure states or any of like the weird validation issues or anything. Like your app doesn't have to deal with payments. It only has to be able to respond to successful payments. So we were gonna, we were building that and I was using the CSS thing again and continuing to refine it. And I was live streaming all my work and thinking that people were gonna be interested in like a bunch of the backend TDD stuff we were doing or sort of like developing UIs with Vue.js and stuff. But what kept coming up that people were most excited about was that I was using this CSS thing that people hadn't seen there. Everyone was like, what's that CSS framework? What CSS tools are you using? I wanna use this on my project. And it never really occurred to me that this would be something that people would be super excited about. But that's what kept coming up over and over. It's like, man, you got to release this. You got to release this. And a buddy of mine, uh, Jonathan Rennick, was working on a redesign for his SaaS app that he runs. He said, I want to try this like utility CSS thing that you're doing. And he was like, do you have anything that you can give me as a starting point? And I was like, well, I've kind of been hacking on this little framework thing. Maybe we can kind of work on it together and use that as sort of a forcing function for making sure that I build it in a way that is reusable on multiple projects. So we started hacking on that together. That's what eventually got released as Tailwind CSS. I decided to open source it basically just because of the interest from the people on the live streams and on Twitter and stuff like that. That was back in like the end of 2017. And that's been like steadily growing and growing in usage since then. And now like, you know, it gets millions and millions of downloads a month. It's a pretty popular CSS framework. Let's dive in a little more into the, the first version know what we would call the MVP, but really that that first version that you and your friends started hacking on, right? And you started bringing it to life. How did you go about building it? How are you approaching it? I'm, I kind of understand the tools that you're using, but if there's something specific framework-wise or even methodology-wise, kind of dig into that a little bit. And what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make while you were building it? 
it started off, we were trying to build it as a CSS framework on top of like the last preprocessor. One thing that we were realizing as we were trying to support like both of our needs on these two different projects was that we really needed to make the framework very customizable. Making that happen with less was quite hard because we were basically building like a meta framework on top of a preprocessor using a very limited set of features. Like these CSS preprocessors have a lot of features, but the, it's not the same as like using like a full blown programming language, you know? So we had to sort of come up with a lot of clever hacks that were sort of like really pushing some of these features to their limit in terms of what we were trying to do with them to generate some of these like different styles based on people's configuration options and stuff and it got to a point where it was just like so hard to keep in our heads how everything was working and there's not like any like testing frameworks for like SAS or less you know what I mean so it's hard to have like a test suite to verify that your stuff even like works eventually another friend of mine David Hempel turned me on to trying to rebuild the whole thing with post CSS which is a tool for parsing a string of CSS into an abstract syntax tree and then you can walk that tree and manipulate it at first, I didn't really understand how you could use that to build a CSS framework, but the trick ended up being in CSS, you have these like at rules, right? Like at media for like media queries or at import for importing things or at char set. But the interesting thing is like post-CSS can parse anything that looks CSS-ish. It doesn't have to like be using valid CSS keywords. The trick was to like create our own custom at rules. So we made these rules like at tailwind and basically we can crawl the CSS. And every time we find an instance of like at tailwind utilities, for example, we can inject a bunch of generated CSS that's like generated in JavaScript. And by doing all this work in JavaScript, well, now we can use all the JavaScript tooling that exists in the world, right? So we use like Jest as our testing framework and I can write all this code in JavaScript, test it, it outputs the stuff that I want. And all of a sudden I had so much more power because I wasn't trying to like abuse these preprocessor features. I had like a full programming language and I had all this extra confidence because I could actually test everything and make sure that things were working. So sort of in like the, the 11th hour before we released it, I ended up rewriting the whole thing with PostCSS. That was huge for us because it gave us so much more confidence in the code. And we released that like v0.1.0, I think it was like Halloween night, 2017. You know, you kind of rewrote it in the 11th hour. Was it a scramble? Obviously you were trying to hurry before you released it, but the rewriting in the 11th hour stories are typically stress-induced <laughs> or stress-inducing. It wasn't really a stressful one. It was kind of like the opposite. It was, we didn't really have like a release date in mind or anything. Like we knew we wanted to get it out like soonish, but it's not like a work project. It's like an open source thing, right? So it's not like the same sort of pressures, but it was one of those um, rewrites. I think there's like two types of rewrites. There's like the frantic stressful, everything's broken. We got to fix it rewrite. And then there's like the, I just had this eureka moment and like unlocked all this new potential. And like, I'm just going to go on this coding frenzy and like, do all this amazing stuff really fast. It was like more of that one. I don't know if you've ever had those experiences where it's like, oh my God, like I know how to do this now. And like time just like melts away and you're just like in the zone, you know? And there's no real stress to it. It's more just like, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to go to the bathroom. I don't want to drink water. I don't want to eat. It's just like, oh, I'm so excited that like I've unlocked this new potential. And I just want to keep pushing at. So I did all that in like two days. Uh, but not because I needed to, because it was just like the energy was there, you know? <laughs> so we're we're at Halloween 2017. So walk me through how you progressed the product. How did, how did you mature the product from that point post-release in 2017? So I just kind of kept hacking on it for a few months, adding sort of the new stuff. And then it kind of went stagnant, but it wasn't really actively developed for most of 2018, I would say. It was 
I added new stuff here and there, but like we were busy working on like work projects and other stuff like that. And this was when it was just still an open source project. So not a ton was happening. And then towards the end of 2018, Steve and I, my business partner, released this book, Refactoring UI, which is like a book that helps teach design to developers basically. And it was like a million times more successful than we expected. Going into that, my plan after releasing that book was to start working on a SaaS idea with another friend of mine. The book ties in with Tailwind really well. Like Tailwind is like a sort of a design system driven CSS framework. And this book was really about like designing with constraints. And there's there's a lot of sort of like connecting threads between like the two things. And the book was like super successful and Tailwind was like growing in popularity. And all of a sudden we had this like huge bankroll, like all this capital in the bank that I could spend time doing stuff. And I thought, you know what? This Tailwind thing is like, it's the highest impact project I've ever worked on in terms of the number of people who use it and the number of people who have like getting value from it and love it. If I just went and started working on this like SaaS app with the partner I was supposed to be working on it with, I would just be letting it sit. And there's no guarantee that any SaaS project is going to work out. You know, like most of the time they don't. <laughs> it's a really hard thing to get like a SaaS app off the ground and actually get customers and stuff. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to like not do that. And instead, I'm going to take the whole year and just work full time on this CSS framework and like the surrounding ecosystem and just like see how far I can push this in terms of growing the community and improving the tool. Basically, as of like January 1st, 2019, I went like full time on the framework and that's when we started working towards the 1.0 release. Kind of took a lot of what we had learned based on how people were using the earlier versions and made the necessary breaking changes that we wanted to make based on like new information that we had about, yeah, this decision was bad, we should do it this way instead. Added a bunch of new features and stuff, built like a whole new website, built out all the new documentation, recorded most of like a free video course that I never totally finished, but have to get back into soon. Really just like kept pushing it and growing it and growing it. And that's when the framework really started to take off. I would say like 2020 this year has been like the year where it's like really been like the most activity and growth, but that kind of all started with like what I invested in the last year. There's lots of precedent for people being able to like start businesses around this sort of tool. There's like Theme Forest that probably makes millions of dollars selling bootstrap themes every year. There's like the official bootstrap theme store. So I thought, you know what? Absolute simplest version of any sort of business around this would just be selling themes and templates that are built using this tool. And being able to say they're like official, I think would give us a big advantage over any third party stuff. And as long as the framework is big enough and popular enough, then, you know, some percentage of those people are probably going to be uh, potential customers. And if these other theme shops can exist and make money, then probably there's a good chance that, like, we can do that, too. Okay, so you you progressed the product. You went full time in working on working on the project. Just totally cool. It's a dream for that to happen. How did you go about building your roadmap? How did you go about setting out, this is the the things I'm going to build into Tailwind? How did you figure out what was the most important thing to build? I don't really have like a system for that, I guess. It's mostly just a combination of intuition and my own personal needs and just paying attention to the community. So there's a lot of features that were introduced just because like the demand was for them was really high people constantly opening the same github issue over and over again or people asking in our like discord server the same questions so just like keeping my finger on that pulse and being the one who like sees all the issues get opened and sees all the discussions kind of just gives you a good sense for what like people are missing so that's like one way that i would prioritize stuff 
And then the other thing that happens the most, and this is where like fast feature development happens, is when I'm building a site and I need something that Tailwind doesn't have, then you know that gets added to the framework that day, basically. And there's some things that are harder than others. You know, there was like a major feature that I've wanted to add since 2017 that I literally just built last month. Now that we have like a team, basically, and I was able to like pair program with, with someone for a week and like really get deep into it, we were finally able to get that done. So some things happen really fast, some things happen uh, really slow, but generally like what gets added is, is driven either by stuff that I need myself that I find is missing or stuff that the community is asking for. You know, it's not really any more complicated than that for us. Well, you mentioned team and I want to dig into that a little bit. How did you go about building your team and, you know, what did you look for in those people to say, to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? So it was like end of February when we first released the product, like launch day, you know, things are like really, you're overwhelmed, like so much customer support coming in, so much stuff you still want to do. It just feels like there's no way that you're going to be able to do everything yourself. And it was at that point, I was like, ah, Steve, should we just like try and build a real company here instead of just being like these two guys who put out products once in a while and, you know, try and do things in a way where we can each spend more time doing the things that we love and, you know, less the things we don't want to do because there's so much just like reactionary work to do if you're trying to stay on top of that all the time it's hard to do the sort of r d sort of work that is what really has driven the success of things long term you know so we needed to come up with a way to be able to stay on top of the reactionary stuff while still being able to invest in the sort of forward looking stuff so we decided you know what we should we should start trying to grow the team, trying to bring some people on board. So at first we were just planning to bring on one person to start. And we were also looking at bringing on another partner and we got really far with those negotiations, but it just didn't end up panning out. It just ends up being really hard to negotiate equity and stuff with another person when you already have a business that you like own that's doing millions of dollars in revenue. It, it ends up just being really hard to come up with something that feels fair from both sides of the table. You know, learned a lot from that process for sure. The first person that we hired was Brad Corns. He's just a Tailwind community member. So I knew of him because he had built the VS Code Tailwind IntelliSense plugin, which is like a really popular tool people use for getting like autocomplete for all the Tailwind class names as they're typing and lots of interesting features like that. And I talked to him a handful of times over the years and he'd kind of been involved in the community since very, very early. And he was always hacking on like these really sort of like bleeding edge ideas and really exploratory experimental stuff with like new technologies. And he just seemed to always like know uh, of every like upcoming feature and everything before I had even heard of it. And he had already prototyped things with it. He was doing like really high quality work and was just like super into the framework. And I was just really impressed with everything that he had done. So when I was just originally just brainstorming, like, man, who could we reach out to to see if they'd be interested in working with us? He was like the first person that came to mind. So I messaged him and he was like, yeah, uh, that sounds awesome. So Steve had never talked to him before. So we hopped on a call. It wasn't really like a formal interview, but we just like got to know him a little bit better and made sure that like where he wanted to go with what he was doing aligned with what we were doing. And we all felt really good about that. And we just kind of sent him an offer. That was like the least bureaucratic hiring process of all time. Like just first person we asked, one hour phone call, sent him an offer. Now he's working with us. You know what I mean? Like probably like any like hiring manager's dream situation. You know, we were super happy to be bringing Brad on. But then we also realized that we needed some help in other areas because we had a lot of like ambitions around other stuff that we wanted to do. We just wanted to try and push it a little bit harder. 
I wouldn't say we would have done it any differently in hindsight, but I would say that it was a little bit chaotic to be basically going from two people to what ended up being five people in like one month. You know, I think like probably would have been smarter to space things out more, but we did manage to do it. And now we have the team in place. So I'm grateful that we're still not still in like the onboarding phase. Uh, but what we did is we posted like a real job posting because I couldn't think of anybody else that I knew that I would have thought would have been good for the role that we were looking to hire someone for. So I put together like what I thought was a really good quality job posting that went into a lot of detail about who we were looking for. Uh, it was very specific about projects that we're going to be working on soon. It was very specific about like, if you had already been working with us, here's some projects you would have worked on in the last six weeks. Like just really tried to paint this like crystal clear picture of what it was going to be like to work with us, included the salary and everything. Just tried to make it as appealing as possible to the best possible candidates. We posted that just like basically through Twitter and we got 900 people applying to that job, um, which is the benefit of like having really big audiences in general. Like Steve has like 90,000 followers on Twitter, you know, and I have like 70,000 followers on Twitter. And we've both been like building this really engaged audience for a long time through our sort of like public work and stuff that we've put out there. So that was a huge advantage for us. So we got an incredible amount of applications, had to figure out a way to sort of wean that down that was probably the hardest part. We ended up finding someone in that group of people who was someone I talked to like once, but didn't really know anything about and definitely wouldn't have come to mind otherwise, uh, which was a, a Robin Malfa, who's a developer from Belgium who works with us now. And he's like this incredibly talented React developer. And so that hiring process took like two months just of interviews and like take home code tests and pair programming sessions to like really make sure like we were hiring the right person for that job. Like we we're really diligent about it. And I think um, I'm really happy with how that went because now that Robin's on the team, like he has lived up hundred percent to like the expectations that we had in terms of he is exactly who we thought we were hiring. So I feel like we did like a really good job in, in vetting that stuff and uh, that worked out well. But during that process, we also hired another person, which is Simon Recliotis, which is a guy from Australia. Originally, he reached out when he saw the job posting was like, man, like this is like the job of my dreams. But I know like you're looking for someone who's like closer to North America because you want to do a lot of collaborating and I'm in Australia. <laughs> so how can we make that work? Uh, but we knew him. We'd met him in Australia. Me and Steve both did because we spoke at a conference there like the previous year. And he's been like super into the Tailwind community since day one as well. And uh, we just had a lot of faith in him as a person. So we kind of just designed a role for him and uh, talked to him about it. And he ended up joining the company too. Uh, so we ended up sort of hiring two people out of that public job posting process. Although only one of them was for like that actual role. We ended up, you know, ended up with five people on the team total, including Steve and I. It was like maybe like 70 days where all three people started. Things are going pretty good, but it was pretty crazy kind of getting all that stuff sorted out and getting settled into like a mode where we can actually focus on work again instead of just hiring. It sounds like it happened really quickly, but but I hear some common threads that a lot of these individuals were people that you knew and were actively involved in what you were doing already. And then some other people who were just really good culture fits, but also really talented and that can help you take the product to the next level. Is that, is that right? Yeah. And actually, you know what? Every single person we hired, like even Robin, who's the guy that we found just through like the hiring process, was actively involved in the community too. And that was like a big part of why we felt confident in hiring him. 
Hiring is a tricky thing because there's a lot of like advantages that a lot of people have that a lot of other people just like can't have. You know, like Robin is a young guy who has a lot of time to work on open source and like answer people's questions in Discord and like enjoys that. And that's how he likes to spend his time. That gives us a lot more information about him than we can get from someone who doesn't have time to do that sort of thing, which is like an unfair advantage. But also as like the person doing the hiring, like you want to be as confident as possible. <laughs> For us, it's it's definitely been great that we've been able to like just hire people out of the community. If you can make the time to do that sort of thing like it's it's a huge advantage as someone looking for a, an opportunity with a company that like is very sort of community driven and what do they say like the best jobs never are posted publicly posting like a public job posting is basically a last resort and i totally think that's that's true for us as well so as you step out on the balcony and you look across all you've built with tailwind what are you most proud of the open source work, honestly, like I love that we've been able to build like a free open source CSS framework that um, is installed millions of times per month. I hear from so many people who are like, every time I go back to a project that was built with anything else, like I miss Tailwind so badly. People are just like so happy with the experience and the, the people who use it are so passionate about it. It's like saving them so much time and making them so much happier and enabling them to do stuff that they couldn't do before. Um, that's definitely the thing that I'm like most proud of. For me, like the business side of things is cool, but I'm not really that motivated by like trying to build a big business or trying to make as much money as possible. You know, like obviously you need to make money to be able to spend your time working on the stuff that doesn't make money. But I read this like Walt Disney quote a long time ago, which was like, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make movies. And that like really resonated with me. Like I was like, yes, like that's how I feel about the work that we do like in a perfect world if we could just somehow have money magically appear in our bank account without ever actually selling anything or charging money for things i would just make everything free you know because i don't care about like convincing people to buy things or trying to like maximize how much money we make on things or whatever i care about like being able to have the biggest impact on the biggest number of people with the tools that we make so I think of us as like a very open source company who has commercial products because like that's the only way to keep working on open source stuff. Like in a perfect world, I would just be making like free tools for people all day and that's all we would do. That's definitely the stuff that I'm most proud of and Tailwind especially because I think it has like such an outsized impact on people's day-to-day -day experience at their work doing the sort of work that Tailwind enables. As a web developer, CSS is the only thing that's like a constant between every web developer and every ecosystem, you know? If you're a PHP developer, then someone building like a Rails library doesn't help you. But PHP developers, Rails developers, React developers, Vue developers, .NET developers, like all of them have to write CSS, you know? So it's like the one thing that everybody has to write. Like not even HTML is really as universal as CSS because, you know, React is not really HTML. You know, people use different templating languages and stuff like that. But Bootstrap is used in every possible type of web project and Tailwind is, is the same way. So it's been pretty amazing to be able to work in like that part of the stack where it's like that slice of technology that has the absolute biggest market share across like all web developers. So the potential for like having a high impact there is like so huge compared to what it would be working on like any other smaller slice of the stack. So 
you know, I hear from so many people who are like, I was useless with CSS until I started using Tailwind and now it's taught me CSS or I couldn't make anything that looked good and now like I can or it's crazy to think that like some thing that started as just like a bunch of CSS files I made just for myself that I never would have released to the world if I hadn't been live streaming work on something completely different is now like what we built a multi-million dollar business around with a team of five that has like, you know, thousands and thousands of people using it every day. So I don't know, it's pretty crazy. So what does the future look like for your product and for your team? Right now, like we're still in like this early access phase of the commercial product. We're just kind of finishing up the last bunch of component examples to be included. Then we're going to start just like working on like some other sort of supplementary products. So we want to start building out like official tools or like UI kits for different JavaScript frameworks that are backed by Tailwind at the end of the day. So like React UI kits that are built using Tailwind, Vue UI kits, other sort of complementary products that fit in sort of like this, at an abstract level, this sort of theme marketplace sort of business that essentially we kind of run. On the team side, we want to keep things really small, long-term, I don't ever really want to be more than 10 people, I don't think, because I want to be able to still spend most of my time doing like actual development work and not just management and sort of leadership work. But I know like we could definitely use some more help on the design front because Steve's the only designer at the company and every single project we do is like really design heavy. I'm sure he would appreciate having some help there. But my hope is kind of by like the end of the next year, maybe we have like instead of just like basically the one product that we have now, maybe we have like four products and maybe we have a team of instead of like the five that we have now, definitely no bigger than seven at that point. We'll switch to you, Adam. Who influences the way that you work? Um, you know, CEO, CTO, architect, person, really anyone. Name a person that you look up to and why. For me, the obvious answer, which I bet you is like pretty common uh, on this show, probably, as I'm a huge fan of like the Basecamp 37 Signals guys like uh, DHH and Jason Freed and, and Ryan Singer, too, who I think is sort of an unappreciated voice there sometimes compared to Jason and, and David. DHH especially is probably the, the guy that I've admired the most for, for a long time, even just as a programmer before I even wanted to start a business, like his sort of attitude around how he built things and the sorts of trade-offs that he made and focused on really resonated with me. Like basically any problem I ever run into, like they've written about it with their kind of take on it at some point, you know, and it's it's always like a take that I, I respect. I've always really appreciated their sort of like no bullshit approach to things. Not like a very like analytics driven or like trying to harvest emails or trying to like growth hack, like very much just like build great stuff, talk about it in public, like share your opinions on things. They kind of follow like the golden rule, but for business, you know what I mean? Like they try to like build a business that they would want to interact with, which I think is like, sounds so obvious, but it's something that's easy to forget. You know, like if like this tactic for like getting new email subscribers, like, okay, like throwing up a modal on your website to collect new email subscribers when someone's scrolling, technically like you get more email subscribers if you do that. So the data says that we should do it, but as a person visiting websites, like, do you appreciate it when sites do that? No. So like the answer is no, we won't do that. I really just kind of appreciate the way that they sort of uh, sort of view things. And I've had the privilege to be able to like have deep conversations with, you know, David, Jason and Ryan many times over the years. And they've really helped me with specific questions I've had about my stuff. So usually like they say, like you never meet your heroes, you know what I mean? But like, um, 
because they're never as like great as you think they are in real life. But uh, all three of those guys have been like wonderful to me in the conversations that I've had with them. So yeah, still a big fan and still pay close attention to everything that they do. So if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? There's been like a couple things throughout the course of my sort of entrepreneurial career that maybe I would do a little bit differently. I kind of got started by, I wrote this book, Refactoring the Collections, which was like teaching functional programming principles to PHP developers. I wrote that in like evenings and weekends when I was working for an agency. And I wrote and did that whole thing over like maybe three months from start to launch. And it made like 60 grand or something in the first week, then like slowed down significantly after that. Like most of these things, like the heaviest revenue days are right at the very beginning right when it launches. But I decided to like take a leap of faith and quit my job to start working on other kind of course and book type projects. And I think like in hindsight, I'm definitely glad that I did that. But I can also see how like it felt like an obvious thing to do at the time, although like somewhat risky, but it, it feels even riskier to me looking back than it did at the time. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I'm so glad that I did that. And I would give that advice to other people like don't wait until you have like 250 grand in the bank it's it's almost better to like take the opportunity as soon as you've reached like the minimum threshold for that opportunity to be viable and use like the pressure of only having like a limited runway to like force you to be productive and like kind of get to the next step you know but the next product that i worked on after that it took me like a year and a half before it was done and i like released it in early access like a year before it was done And that whole year was like incredibly stressful because I kept feeling like I'm in debt to my customers. I need to like get this thing done because I had already like pre-sold it. Basically, I couldn't like change the scope of the project. So I couldn't like cut out lessons from the course and stuff like that. And that just meant I just had to keep grinding on it. And I was like so burnt out and ruined by the end of that. That was like a really important lesson to learn, which was like, basically I try to not pre-sell things anymore unless I absolutely have to. We, we did it with Tailwind UI, but it hasn't been the same sort of pressure as it was for the course. So far, it's been not a big deal, especially having like a team and like some support of people to like help me get through it. As soon as I finished that course, I went on vacation with my wife for a little bit and took a break and came back and had another idea for another product. And I tried to do it the exact opposite way. It was like from idea to launch in like six weeks and it made like the same amount of money, basically. That was like a lesson that I learned was just like, don't let things drag on, like take advantage of like motivation while you have it and like be ruthless about cutting scope and making things fit into the time frame that you have and try to avoid trapping yourself in situations where like you can't change that. Other than that, I think I probably would have like maybe hired sooner. Like Steve and I had put out the book we didn't hire anyone until after like Tailwind UI came out. I could definitely see how uh, we could have got help sooner and uh, benefited from it because it's definitely been awesome having a team. So far, we've gotten pretty lucky that we haven't screwed anything up too badly. So maybe the worst is still to come. Last question, Adam. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. An entrepreneur, a builder, a, a coder, who's just jazzed about what he or she is building. They, they think it's going to be a game changer. They can't wait to show it off to you, to the world. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think the number one thing is basically don't wait until you're done building something to start trying to put it out into the world like for me the highest impact thing that i've done in terms of my own success has been like working in public again the classic example of that for my own career is that 
Toe and CSS the framework wouldn't have existed if I wasn't live streaming work on like another app. I think a lot of people want to wait until something's perfect before they put it out there, but you're just severely decreasing your chances of success. Like people want to build something and then they want to market it when it's built. The reality is like marketing something that's finished. Obviously you can do it. Lots of companies continue to market products that exist. There's this phase before something's done where there's so much interesting stuff to talk about, so much interesting marketing potential that like you don't want to waste that. A good example of that, like in our kind of technical space, right, is people are like allergic to what they think of as marketing and advertising, right? They think it's like sleazy, like salesy stuff. But marketing is really just about getting your ideas out there and getting people to know what they are and getting people to trust you and getting people to be excited about like what you're doing and want to take a look at it. And there's lots of ways you can do that that don't feel like sleazy marketing tactics, you know, like the way that we've done things a lot in the past has been working openly, sharing what we're working on as we're working on it, asking questions on Twitter when I'm like, I can't decide like how to name this config option for this feature. Like, what do you guys think? And like involving people in the community or when I solve some really hard problem, like writing it up and sending out an email to like our email list that's like, here's a story of like how I fixed this weird line height bug that like everyone is going to like be able to relate to and learn something from. I think like teaching is like the best form of, of marketing. And there's so much opportunity to teach when you're early in the building phase of something and encountering lots of problems and coming up with solutions to them. Like anytime that you solve like a tricky problem and don't share how you did it is a huge wasted marketing opportunity. So I think if I had to like just distill it down into like one thing, It's basically like work in public, talk about what you're doing like from the day that you even start thinking about doing it. Well, Adam, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for being on Code Story and telling the creation story of Tailwind. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just 5 to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>